please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, an important bill that has passed both houses of the legislature. You know, the legislative session has ended. Thank goodness. Finally, we are done. There's nothing more that's going to happen this year. And that this is... There can't be any more damage done this year, there's, right? There's no damage. There's nothing good. It's, it's all over. As Will Rogers once said, no man is safe while Congress is in session. And I think that, that I kind of have that sentiment too you kind of hold your your baited breath to see what's happening underneath the gold dome every year but you know here we are with with the this legislative session is over we're going to be moving on to bigger and better things georgia carries doing a whole bunch of lawsuits we've got festivals coming up we've got a lot of exciting ways for people to get involved and of course this week we are kicking off our pledge week right jesse ha ha so if you don't sign up, then, you know, we'll have Ira Glass call you and make fun of you on the radio or something. We're going to steal a page from NPR because they're the people who do Pledge Week all the time. You know, that drives me crazy. And when I hear them doing Pledge Week, I change the station. Well, don't change the station because we're not going to be interrupting anything for pledges. GeorgiaCarry.org is doing very well with we're over seven. Begging like homeless people at Christmas. <laughs> Seriously. With over 7,000 members, I mean, it's... Doug it's and I really, don't have to ring a bell in front of the Walmart. <laughs> but we we do have to show up to the gun shows and get more people to sign I'm up. I'm fine with that. Just have no bell ringer. Uh, you, weren't you saying we should do that one year with the kids and have them come out and ring bells? No, I wanted the kids to ring the bell. I don't want to ring the bell. I just want to stand there and watch them and laugh. Ah, <laughs> uh, well... Um, so you can you can always find ways to you know work with georgiacarry.org and get more involved. And if you're not a member, you can become a member quite easily. You can you know sign up on their website at georgiacarry.org or go to any gun show or most festivals and find a booth where you can meet with a, a volunteer who's there giving their time and attention to the cause. And you can also go to a local chapter meeting. And local chapter meetings, which yeah. we've showcased a couple of weeks ago uh, before we had on Representative Dexter Sharper last week, which was quite the interview. But we had chapter meetings heads come on the show and talk about Valdosta and the South Metro and North Metro. And if you know you are interested in getting involved in any of those, all of their pages are on Facebook. You can find them when you start searching for GeorgiaCarry.org and get involved there. But there are a lot of different ways that you can join and get involved. Membership is $20 a year for an individual. You can get a family or a uh, lifetime membership, which is $500. So anybody under the age of 50 makes it it's a great deal to get a lifetime membership you know you just brought up the the interview with dexter sharper and it's really bothered me for the past week that he hasn't even had any training but he wants all of us to be forced to take training well you know that's that's true jesse but i stepped up right after i heard that and offered him a free free class and to go down to valdosta where he's from and to teach him how to clean his weapon has use he contacted his weapon. you yet he has not but i, I am reaching so. <laughs> i'm reaching out to him to try to get this schedule i mean he just came off a legislative session and he's got a lot of things going on and he's got great resources down you know, there it brings up a, a good point of I wonder how long he's had his weapons license because 
I'm wondering if he's in violation of the His law he's proposed. trying to pass. Yeah, I, yeah. I bet he is. It's it's entirely possible. I mean, this is something to consider. Maybe he's the poster child on why he thinks he needs that law, because if it wasn't for a law, he would never get training. But here we are trying our very best to reach out to people and get them involved, not only with the organization, but just for better safety. Which is why we had Mr. Potowitz on a few weeks ago to talk about how to become, you know, how to talk to your kids about guns, even if you don't own guns. I mean, these are topics that are broad based, and it's not just things that, you know, a gun owner needs to know. These are things that every concerned citizen needs to know. And whether it's the legislative agenda, the, the, uh, litigation agenda or just general safety training and, and how to enjoy firearms. These are things that everybody can be involved in. So, you know, here at georgiacarry.org, everybody is is excited and, and interested in getting more people involved, getting more people to join up. I, I say tongue-in-cheek, this is Pledge Drive Week, but I wanted to start the show off with talking about how to become a georgiacarry.org member and how to become more involved in, in the community. And like you said, the local chapter meetings are a great opportunity. And when we start talking about gun shows and the upcoming festival, I mean, weren't you just talking about the Big Shanty Festival recently, Jesse? Yeah, they they were going to have a booth at the Big Shanty Festival, and apparently they were like one of the major sponsors, GeorgiaCarry.org. We, we were one of the major sponsors for the Big Shanty Festival. Well, it started after off. After they told us we couldn't carry our guns there. Yeah, it started off with them telling us not to come, and so then we sponsored it. And, you know, that's one of the great things about GeorgiaCarry.org is that we they— We make change happen the right way. Exactly. Not— it's, it, it wasn't that, oh, we're going to come and protest your festival. Or we we're didn't gonna... have to loot or burn a single thing down to get to carry our <laughs> firearms to the Big Shanty Festival. Oh, Just here took we... a little money. Here we are, you know, changing people's perspectives. And I think that that is a fantastic thing that GeorgiaCarry.org does. So, you know, every year the legislative session comes around and every year we have fights. And this legislative session, last year we had a huge victory. I mean, this was a big bill that passed that... Ex- well, it was kind of a bittersweet victory last year because cer- certain things were included in that bill that was passed that were not put into the official Code of Georgia annotated. Well, there were two bills that went through. There was the, the, the main bill which was HB 60, which had all of the provisions that Georgia Carey was really pushing for. But there was a little side bill that was about zero tolerance. And the zero tolerance bill, the language of it, the plain language, which is easily understood by any layperson, is that if you have a license, you can now carry on school campuses. But that provision was not included in the code. Which in fact, has it, led- wasn't, it wasn't mentioned at all in the one bill. It was mentioned in one bill, but not the other. And they're claiming a conflict, which is kind of ludicrous on its face. And so here we are dealing with you know, trying to get this resolved. And so a new bill was introduced this year, which had the effect of cleaning up a lot of these code sections and making them more easily understood. And one of the main phrases that keeps getting repeated throughout this bill is nothing in this code section shall in any way operate or be construed to affect repeal or limit the exemptions provided for in Code Section 1611-130. And see, this is the operative language, which... So basically, this breaks down to what we're saying here does not give you the right to take anything else away. Exactly. Period. And this is an important aspect. Now, one would think that this would be self-explanatory under general rules of statutory construction, which... Well, isn't that the way the, the most recent bill is the one that is takes effect? That's true, but it, even if the most recent bill takes effect, there has to be an actual conflict for it to have any sort of, of 
effect on any other code section. You can't if if it were such that without an actual conflict, uh, enacting a new bill would repeal an old bill. If they enacted one law this year, then all the other laws would be gone. We can Poof. wish. Because one bill was enacted, and it didn't mention all the other code sections. That would be it's, a stoplight free-for-all, wouldn't it? it? It has to be that it only affects things which are in direct conflict. And yet this these two bills had no direct conflict whatsoever, and yet this was used. So now, apparently, we have to make the code even more cumbersome by adding a phrase that this can't be used to deny our rights in any other code section over and over and over. But you know what? If that's what it takes, let's do it because it's it's better for the citizenry of Georgia to have it spelled out clearly so even a judge can understand rather than have it be nebulous and for people in one county to have you know things levied against them and people in another county to not have those infringements. It should do be we need to even. like draw them a picture when they're writing out the Georgia well, I don't, code. I don't think that this is really... An I left af- my crayons at home today, but I'm willing to bring them next week. I don't think this is an official code drafting problem as much as it is an interpretation problem. We have judges around the state who are elected. Our judges are elected. There is the remedy here when you find out that a judge is not construing the law properly. Do not reelect him or her. Exactly. But that's a hard thing to do. Judges, once they get in, judges stay in forever. It's like a bad disease. You know, I, I did a study once to try to figure this out. And what I learned was that when a judge stands for, I, I was looking in Cobb County as an example. Cobb is a, a suburban county. It's got a large population. And I thought, well, I wonder what it's like for someone who is running for reelection. So we had a, a series of judges who were running unopposed, okay? So they have no opposition. There's no campaign. There's nothing. It's just their own name on a ballot. Now, how many votes out of, I believe Cobb at the time had 130,000 residents in the county registered to vote. How many votes do you think that an unopposed judge with no one running against them, no campaign, no ads, no billboards, no signs, how many people actually went ahead and checked a box for somebody with no opposition? Nobody, because they know that it's already going to get elected. So he probably got maybe 12,000 votes. That's that's what I was expecting. I was really expecting to see that happen. Do people actually touch the button? 120,000 did out of 130. Really? Yeah. Almost <laughs> every single person who voted voted for a judge who had no opposition. So if if by default the incumbent judge gets 90% of the vote... How are you ever going to have a successful bid against them? Folks, we're coming up on a commercial break. Uh, When we get back, we're going to discuss the bill in some more detail, a little bit about judicial elections, and you're listening to georgiacarry.org right here on your local station. And now, back to georgiacarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, and this week we're talking about the most important bill that passed in the legislative session, and and we kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit trail talking about judicial elections, because the reason for this bill, a lot of the reason behind this bill is that the interpretation has been skewed, and we see this over and over again as we try to get more freedoms and more things in place that are, you know, for Georgia Carry members and Georgia citizens to be able to carry where there should be legal allowed to see i see this as an issue with the with the judicial committee that that interprets these bills because they go oh did we mean to pass that like was that for real 
we don't want them carrying guns onto our campuses, do we? And that that was a very real concern this last year with the way that the the committee that drafts the Georgia Code reacted. But we see it again in the judicial opinions. You know, judges turn around and say, well, that can't be what it means. That can't be what the legislature intended. And that that was a big issue a few years ago when we started to carry into Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. The federal judge turned around and said, well, yeah, that's what the law says, but that can't be what the legislature means. Even when Timothy Bearden, went, who was the author of the bill, went to testify about what his intent was when he drafted the bill, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered to that judge. But was it the that um, John Monroe was saying that can't possibly be what it says. Yeah, there was a like judge. The judge didn't even read it. He just said, I don't believe you that that's what it says. Yeah. And and so we and this is a problem because we have a judiciary that has been on the bench for a very long time. Georgia judges, once they get elected, you know, or actually what typically happens, and this is kind of sad, a judge retires midterm, and they don't ever retire when it's supposed to be for an election. They always retire midterm. Then the heir apparent makes a plea to the governor who has political favors, and the governor appoints that person to the, the judgeship. Since they finish out the other person's term, they don't stand for election. When they come up for election, they get the I next to their name for incumbent, and then they get reelected forever. And it's this kind of nepotistic feed people into the judiciary system, which is really bad. In fact, there was one county uh, about two years ago that really did a one-two step. The The judge didn't have enough political favor to get the, the governor to appoint his daughter to his own post. So what he did was announce that he was going to run for re-election. Now, we've already established that once you announce that you're running for re-election as a judge, that it's almost impossible to win. So people don't want to pour money into a campaign that's impossible to win. They wait for an open seat. Right. Since this judge announced he was going to run for re-election, nobody else ran or entered to run in the election. On um, He filed for his candidacy to run for re-election on the first day that the polling uh, entry was allowed – so he went down on day one and filed with the Secretary of Elections. And the very last day that you could file to run, at 5 o'clock, his daughter went down and announced that she was running against him. The day after that, which meant that no one else could enter into the election or he get on the ballot, the race, he dropped out of the race. Leaving her without an account, without a... Opposition. Opposition. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, we have people who sit on the bench for 10, 20, 30 years. And on one hand, you would think, well, then, you know, they're, they're experienced jurists. They understand the system. That, that's not a bad thing. But the problem is, and we see this happen over and over, is that, you know, they don't want to read up on every new law that comes out every year. So they and just base their rulings on their assumptions about the law. On their what everything has been for the last 30 years. And as we see the law start to change in the favor of freedom – they're behind the times, and they don't realize it. And even when it's pointed out to them, they stubbornly dig in their heels and say, no, 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 that can't be. That's not the way it's always been. It can't be. And we have to change this. And we, we're, the way that we're doing it here is through the legislature, to keep going back to the legislature and pounding it in. That No, this is actually what it means. No, how this can is we do actually it without it the legislature? Well, that, that With comes, electing moronic judges <laughs> well you, you're, we're not going to be able to overturn an entire ancient system of judges being able to keep their seats unless we do something drastic in the way elections are done in georgia which it may be time for there may be a time that we turn and say hey as georgians not just georgia carry members but 
as Georgians as a whole, that we want more open ballots, that we want people to be able to have more freedom to run and to get involved in the process. Do you know what I'd like to see in Georgia? What? Third-party elections. Or true third-party candidates. True third-party candidates. That don't have to have massive um, support in a general election by write-in or other means before they're right, able to Right, that get. they should be allowed to have a third-party slot. You know, it, we're, we're in a difficult position because we're also monitored by the federal government and how we run elections due to, you know, all the civil rights issues that Georgia's had in the past. So we have to get approval for things that other states don't. But when you look at, you know, just being able to get onto a ballot, there, there is a tight two-party control of this ballot system. If you're not a Republican or Democrat, you're not getting on. If you're, now, judicial elections are nonpartisan. But even there, we see how hard it is to run against a judge and the, the shenanigans that go on to keep people off the ballot. Well, I'm going to dumb this down for a second and say, would we rather go to a restaurant where you only have two options of what to eat? You can have a hamburger or a hot dog, and that's it. Well, let's try or would it. we rather go to a place that has a, a full smorgasbord and you can pick whatever dinner you want? Try, try this. You can go to Baskin Robbins and get 31 flavors, or you can do the, the two-party system, and there's chocolate and vanilla, and whoever likes, whichever one gets the most votes, everybody has to eat whether you like it or not. And gag on. I, I know that my six-year-old would be recoiling at the thought of having to eat chocolate ice cream over vanilla just because more people in the room voted for chocolate. I bet he'd even be sticking his tongue out at the idea. I think so. <laughs> so, I mean, here we are talking about how to, to have meaningful reform. We can do it through the legislature. We can take and rewrite these bills every year and pass them and say, hey, no, this is really what we meant. The other option is, is that we can go to those judges, and when they enact a bad ruling, we appeal them. And Georgia Carey, through John Monroe and their legal team, does this all the time, appeals bad decisions. Now, sometimes there are bad decisions. Sometimes there are great decisions. I helped work on a probate case that turned out a magnificent decision. Decision, detailing, you know, pretty much everything I asked the judge to say. It was, it was a glorious moment. And so you get both in dealing with the, leg or the judiciary, but appealing these decisions makes better law over time. Isn't this the, the judge that took your um, brief and turned it into his ruling, pretty much? It, it was copied in large part from what I suggested, yes. And, and it was a glorious moment. We got a lot of good traction out of that case. And, you know, John Monroe was the one who was there doing the oral arguments and it was a fantastic moment for free people in Georgia. And then, like you said, you know, there comes a point where we need to start electing people out. If judges are making bad rulings, then those judges should lose their seats. If they're making good rulings, then they should be rewarded by keeping their seats. You and know, this past election, we saw some power come back to the people that we hadn't seen for a while. We've seen this whole uh, landslide for Democrats recently. And then all of a sudden in the past election, this well, yeah, this past year, all of a sudden, the Republicans come into power. Not that it's much better. I mean, we're, we're kind of, there's kind of a fine line between the two at the moment on some subjects. But you see the people go, okay, well, we don't like what the Democrats are doing, so we're going to vote for the Republicans. And then well, what if we don't like what either one of them are doing? Well, you know, and this this is an important aspect is is who gets to run and ballot control. And I, I'm more concerned about the judiciary. So instead I, of having just vanilla and chocolate, I think we should have a little bit of orange sherbet thrown in there. 
I think that if we you know, can get the judiciary on board with the idea that they have to keep up with all of these changing laws, then I think we'd be in a better position. And, and this law that passed this year is largely a cleanup bill to make sure that the judiciary and everyone else knows what we're really talking about. And like so, I said, when we draw them a picture, this is the picture right here. Unfortunately, it kind of had to be. You know, we're talking about HB uh, 492 and all of the changes that it made. And one of the biggest changes it made was just inserting that nothing in this code section shall in any way operate or be construed to affect, repeal, or limit the exemptions provided under Code Section 1611-130. And that phrase is repeated over and over and over to drive the point home. You but know, my, it, my favorite part of this was Section 3. Okay, what, what was in Section 3? It said, said chapter is further amended in Code Section 16-11-127.1 relating to carrying weapons within school safety zones as school functions on a bus or other transportation furnished, furnished by a school by adding a new subsection to read as follows. Nothing in this code section shall in any way operate or be construed to affect, <laughs> repeal, or limit the exemptions. We're back to our our standard phrase of the bill. Right. And and you know that's a that's a great code section. It's directly to address the issues that came up with the zero tolerance bill and the, the lack of action on what is a state law. And that's what we've been saying ever since we've you know been doing this show is that this is a state law that's been overlooked. And I know that when we had Jerry Henry on and we had John Monroe on, everyone cautions says, don't commit an act because, or don't carry on to a campus because if you do, you might be arrested and, you know, we don't want anyone committing a crime or what may be conceived to be a crime. Aren't we kind of at the point right now where unless somebody does it and we get a judge ruling in our favor, it's not going to change? No, that's not true. There there are, um, as John Monroe explained a few weeks ago, that there are actions that we can take judicially to bring this to the ahead. Well, and now one, there's a lawsuit against the, the head of the a committee that puts the law into the books, right? There, there is that. There's also a lawsuit that was filed against a school district, which was ultimately dismissed because the, you cannot sue a school district oh, under that code section. This but code changes that ability to sue a, a school district yes. over that, because in the next part, which is Section 5, I think, or Section 6, it talks about... Um, preemption. Yep, and that is that is another goal of this bill, that when the governor signs it, will allow the schools to be sued so that this can be brought to a head. But there is a lawsuit currently pending that is filed under uh, Section 1983, which is a federal statute that allows uh, pierces basically government immunity in certain situations. And the argument is, is that this is a situation where no remedy would be available, so it must be able to be pierced under the federal statute. And if that's the case, then we get back to square one. Regardless, so there's a there's a lawsuit pending. This bill opens up the door. There's lots of ways that we can challenge this without somebody having to be arrested and, and employ a good criminal defense attorney. <clears throat> like clear your throat, like you're the good criminal defense attorney. Once We're coming up on a commercial break here, so want everybody to stay tuned, and we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. We've been discussing, you know, this bill that's passed and, and what it means for Georgia and Georgians and how this is, you know, kind of a, a way to bring the judiciary back around. And I think one of the most important 
specters in this bill, something that really needed to be dealt with, was the way probate courts have interpreted, and I'm using air quotes as we do this, the the statutes concerning reapplication versus renewal. And so this bill has a lot of provisions that open up what renewal is. It allows you to renew 90 days ahead of your expiration date. It allows you to renew 30 days after your expiration date. It says that no matter what county you're in, your license is good, and that if you move from county to county in Georgia, it's still a renewal because you're still a Georgia citizen. And I think that that's a really important thing. The, the probate courts kind of on their own interpreted this to say, well, it's only a renewal if you're staying in the exact same county for all your life, which I think is just an insane interpretation, considering that you have a right to travel, you have a right to move about freely in the country. Even like, you know, when you have a kids in a divorce, it's unconstitutional to order a parent to stay inside a state or a county and not to move for a better job or better, you know, living conditions for their children. So if you have this federal guaranteed right to be able to move, why do you lose your renewal when you move just across from one county line to the other and have to pay a higher fee and have to have another background check and have to have all of this done? It, it, it really flies in the face of reason. So, I have two words that sum it up. Money racket. And that, well, I don't know if it's so much a money racket because... The last time I was down listening to the probate court judges talk about this, I went to a hearing. This was a couple of years ago before I moved to Alaska and back. But I went to a hearing and the probate court judges, there had been talk about moving this from a county by county system to a state run system by the secretary of agriculture. And I think that that's kind of interesting, right? You know, where which what agency do you want to have issuing licenses for guns? Should it be Secretary of State? Should it be the Secretary of of Homeland Security? Should it be well agriculture? I can actually see the the connection there because doesn't the Department of Agriculture? Take care of the WMAs and all that, too? No, that's the Department of Natural Resources. But you know what ag does? An awful lot of licenses everywhere. They do all sorts of licenses for, for farming operations and certifying livestock. And there's licenses, licenses, licenses. And you know who runs for ag commissioner? People who aren't terribly political. They don't have a dog in any fight because, you know, the ag doesn't have a big budget. It's not partisan. It doesn't have anybody who's trying to drive an agenda. So if you put licensing in ag, it actually would just get done. And so this was the push, is to move licensing out from every county into a central state system. And all of the probate court judges came and started testifying at this committee hearing that I was sitting at. And, you know, I was expecting to hear something, you know, from them, you know, that they wanted to do this or wanted to do that. But their argument basically broke down like this. This is a horrible thing. It costs us a lot of money. We don't make any money doing this. It takes up all of our time. And don't you dare take it away from us. So I don't know if the money racket argument really holds up because apparently they lose money all the time in having to deal with all these people who want licenses. And it's only exploded since then. But what I think it is is it's an inconvenience factor. And they, they don't want to do anything that makes life easier for a carry participant or for a license holder. They want to make things as difficult as possible. Not every probate judge, not everywhere in the state. Some of them are fantastic. But... As they you know, look at this collectively, yeah, they, they try to take away freedom and try to make it more difficult rather than less. And so this bill clearly lays everything out. 
Now, you have to give these renewal permits that they have an extended period of time before and after the renewal date to be able to apply for it, that your light, you don't have to be re-fingerprinted every time, so that saves money because GBI likes to jack up prices for fingerprints. And by cutting the cost down lower and lower and lower, we make this more and more affordable, more and more approachable for the average citizen. You know, I was glad to see that they added that 90 days before because when I got my Georgia weapons carry license here, um, I had a North Carolina previously. Mm-hmm. And it had, you could only renew it up to 30 days before. Right. And I was like, so what if it takes a little longer to come back? Well, then you're kind of. Well, here in Georgia, they they actually would issue a temporary license, and it would cost you a dollar, and it would be a stopgap measure to keep it active in the event that it took more of the time. But there's also a provision in the code that says that they have to issue the license or a reason for denial within 30 days. And you know that I've been handling cases like this where people get their their denial letter in the mail and want to have something done. I I think that we've had some fairly good success, especially with the last case that I handled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That guy got his before it even made it into court, didn't he? Yeah. They denied him, and then I filed an entry, and and our court date was scheduled. And before we got to the court date, they had mailed him his license and gave up. Now, the reality here is, and I want to explain this for listeners, is if you come in from out of state and you have been charged with a felony but not found guilty of it, sometimes the Georgia judges don't know how to read those things well, on the let's background Let's be fair. Check. It's not just Georgia judges. It's, it's Georgia a, prosecutors. It's Alaska prosecutors. It's Alaska judges. It's everywhere I've ever practiced in my life. Nobody knows how to read an out-of-state criminal history across the board. Well, um, this may be something that eventually needs to be kind of universal so everybody understands it. But um, people get denied their license all the time over a charge that didn't stick they were charged with it even though charges were dropped Mm -hmm. and then they have to hire an attorney and go through the pain of of trying to get their license anyway and it's it's just a real and we see some probate judges not all again i mean some are fantastic but we've seen probate judges especially in my practice who deny first and ask questions later and when they when they see an attorney file an entry of appearance and file a motion on it suddenly they go back and check everything they're like oh my goodness yeah they really should have got a license let's send them a license right now send them a license but they had to go through the pain and hassle of it because the judge would rather deny first and then try to figure out whether you should have had it or not, which is really sad. Maybe we should consider a code revision in the future that says that the probate court, if denied and, and changes their opinion, uh, has some civil remedies for the, the individual, but above and beyond attorney's fees, I mean. So who knows? I mean, we, we need to do something to try to keep everybody accountable in, in their jobs. And you know, this is just a general rant I have about society moving forward. It seems like every every year people get lazier and lazier, and they just don't want to do their jobs. And I'm not talking about any particular judge or any particular profession, but my goodness, as I walk through this world and I keep my eyes open as to what's going around, people just don't seem to have the work ethic and energy that they once did. And it's very frustrating. Uh, and you've seen... Every generation before us complains about that, okay? My grandfather was like, when I was your age, I was walking a mile barefooted to school in the snow uphill, both directions. 
Yeah, and I know. You guys I know. get to ride a warm school bus, and you've got nothing to complain about. Now we're t- we're saying the same thing about our kids. Okay, when I was your age, I was washing dishes, and you're sitting in here watching insert whatever cartoon they wish to watch, Gumball or whatever kind of moronic thing is on TV this week. And it's every generation complains about the next. So I don't think anything's really changed there. Just the things that we complain about because things evolve. I saw a picture of an old dog and it said, when I was a pup, I only had one toy and it was a stick. <laughs> See Kinda. again. So, you know, folks, we're we're trying to figure out what's the best way to deal with a lot of these issues. And, and legislatively does a lot. Judicial action through, you know, lawsuits does a lot. And getting involved does even more. The best thing you can do is to talk to your judges and talk to your legislatures. It's been a big push for Georgia Kerry that you should know your legislature. If your legislature is walking down the street and doesn't recognize your face, you have not done your job in lobbying. Well, you know what? I'm going to say that the same holds true to the judiciary. If the judges who are walking around in your community don't know your face, you haven't talked to them enough about what's important to you. And when you see judicial elections come up and there are people who are running unopposed, these are Usually, you know, traffic court judges. But let me tell you, a traffic court judge becomes a state court judge, becomes a superior court judge. And they will be the ones who decide whether or not you've committed a crime with your gun or your license is valid or whether these decisions of the probate judges and the appeals are going to be handled. So get in with them when they're traffic court judges and impress on them how important carry rights are right from the beginning and make sure that they believe what you believe. Because if they don't, when they get to be a seated judge in superior court and they're almost impossible to pull out of that chair, what are you going to do when they start Start making rulings where they don't even want to read the law. And that's a scary prospect. Folks, we are coming up on another commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have our final segment with the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know that Jesse's found some great news stories this past week that we're going to lead into. We hope that you're enjoying the show. And when we come back, we'll be wrapping up with, with the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio right here on your local station. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. And again, this is Pledge Week here on GeorgiaCarry.org radio, so be sure to re-up your membership and, and join in and, and go to the website and, and check out our old shows. You can always check out our old shows at GeorgiaCarry.org. You can also join and become a member at GeorgiaCarry.org and um, become more involved there. So this week, we have The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And the ugly is you keep saying pledge week. I want to turn you off in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, hey, be careful. Ira Glass will come and get you. Who? The guy from, anyway. Anyway, yeah. So anyway. It's American life. The good comes from a local town right outside of the metro Atlanta area, Smyrna. We have a Georgia man with a concealed carry license, and he's being hailed as a hero after preventing an attempted carjacking and possibly saving a woman's life. Wow. That sounds good. It was caught on surveillance camera at the Fast Track Car Wash in Smyrna on Friday afternoon. So this was not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And a teenager tried to steal this woman's car, and she jumped on the hood to try to stop him. And the witnesses said that then the alleged thief sped up, and a bystander with a concealed carry weapons license, Georgia issued, <laughs> decided that he would stop 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an impressive thing. And, you know, people want to discount how often this happens, but it does happen a lot. There are times when people who have a, a valid carry license step up, step in, and prevent the loss of life or property to other people. And here we have a situation where somebody really did good. And, you know, we talk every week. We try to find something good, bad, and ugly for us to, to discuss. Well, this gentleman was a Smyrna City uh, employee, by the way, so... Well, that's that's really impressive. Kudos to him. Yes, we 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 appreciate. Now, of course, it's it's a a heavily weighted decision to step in because you don't always know who the good guy and the bad guy is in any given situation, and it could easily be misconstrued. But here we had a very clear cut situation. The gentleman knew what was going on and was able to prevent a forcible felony, and I think that that's just fantastic. Now, I had a hard time determining which was bad and which was ugly, but I'm I'm just gonna say this one's bad and the next one's ugly and and you guys can kind of decide for for yourselves which one's worse um but i'm I'm there in the order that i consider bad and ugly um apparently they're about to introduce a federal bill Uh which would allow people a tax break for turning in their high-powered assault rifles quote-unquote and it's introduced it's being introduced by representative rosa deloro of course she's a Democrat from Connecticut, because that's what those northern Democrats like to do, is grab your guns. And it supposedly gives you an incentive to turn in your firearms to your local police department. But the way I see this is it gives your local police department a hint that you have firearms. How 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 much are they giving for, per high-powered rifle? It doesn't really say in the article. Oh, up to $2,000. Oh, okay, okay, so okay. So you could find like a really crummy... No, 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 no. This is... Listen to this, okay? I've seen all over the internet that Anderson Arms is selling stripped lowers for 59 bucks. <laughs> and according to ATF regulations, That's a, a strip lower is a firearm. So if I can buy a $59 strip lower from Anderson, turn around and turn it in for a $2,000 tax credit, I'll do that like eight times and not have to pay them any money at all. That's awesome. Let's do this. No. I think that this has, has true potential. Uh, it has some potential to someone who can figure out how to use this as a giant tax break. But I'm, I'm going to say it's kind of a... Low cut for the Democrats to, again, try to grab somebody's firearms, give well, them an incentive no, no, no. to not let's, be a gun owner. Let's embrace things like this and figure out how to use them for everyone's benefit. Because, A, it'll decrease the tax base for them to be able to do illegal things like Operation Fast and Furious and all of those crazy programs that they want. B, it doesn't deprive anybody of firearms. It will increase the, the sales for individual companies selling and strip lowers. Perhaps some of the thugs on the streets, it's got a, like 150 gun they bought from somebody illegally will go hey let me turn this in and get two grand for it so mm. i can buy groceries nope that's not going to happen because they don't so pay taxes again, right they're taking they're trying to get guns away from law-abiding citizens instead of crooks law-abiding citizens who earn enough money to pay taxes so we're only talking about you know about half the population in the u.s to begin with and that's why i say it's bad but the real ugly comes from it's some local news right here in college park georgia this past week a young man passed away his name was pierre tilson he passed away after his mother fired shots into a crowd where people were arguing and shot her own son and whether you are pro or con on the gun argument you have to agree with me that anybody that has that much reckless disregard for life 
really should not have a firearm. You know, we, we carry a, a very heavy burden and awesome responsibility as firearms owners. We yes. have to be well-trained. We have to be responsible. We have to know where our firearm is at all times. What is it the Spider-Man says? With great power comes great responsibility. responsibility. And here we are listening to somebody who did not exercise sound judgment, who should be charged and should be prosecuted she's, to the fullest extent of the law. And she's that, been charged... Um, her name is Latoya Tilson, and she's 33. And I'm saying a 33-year-old woman, whether she's had weapons training or not, should have enough common sense that you just don't fire a gun into a, a crowd of people. A 12-year-old has enough common sense to know you shouldn't fire a gun into a crowd of people. Your 6-year-old knows yeah. not to do this. So, he, I mean, here we have something that is truly ugly. Now, uh, a lot of people will take, and this is one of the things, you know, they, we talk and, about. And this will get grouped in with the gun owners, okay? Yeah. All them people that own guns. Well, this this woman, it doesn't say anywhere in here in this article, it didn't say anywhere on the news that she was a concealed weapons carry license holder. So I'm saying that she may or may not have owned this gun illegally, have purchased it from somewhere she shouldn't have purchased it. Who knows? Who even knows what kind of gun it was? Yeah, you know the people who have a Georgia weapons carry license are some of the most well-behaved, criminally checked people on earth. And the crime rate among nationwide, the crime rate among people who have a weapons carry license is less than even police officers. She so, was already facing thirty-nine counts of educational neglect charges before she shot her son. So apparently she just didn't care too much about him. It's just it's a very sad story. It, it is, and this is the reason we keep bringing up these these shootings, is because they are touching stories that gets people's attention. But it also brings in the focus that people who have a carry license are not the people who commit gun crimes. No, it's people, people of good character that have carry licenses, and they are people who they're not the people that are facing thirty nine counts of educational neglect on their child they they are the, the cream of the crop in so many ways and they get lumped in with people who make bad choices or use weapons improperly and there is not a single person in georgecarry.org who would ever stand up and say we need to to get rid of a reckless conduct we need to get rid of aggravated assault we need to get rid of statutes that punish people for using guns improperly but on the same token i think that we are all uniformly in agreement that by making laws more restrictive, by making it harder to get carry permits, by making it so that people who are the good people cannot exercise their freedoms. The people who don't care don't care. It's the people who care that are infringed. It's the people who pay taxes that they're trying to target to take the weapons away with that bill. It's the people who are responsible that are always under the gun when it comes to the legislature or Congress trying to take away freedoms. It's not your law-abiding citizens that are targeted by the gun-grabber groups, not the criminals, not, not the people that should be targeted. Exactly. And the more we look at all of this and, and the more we go through these good, the bad, and the ugly stories, the more we see uh, a really a targeted attempt to take away rights of law-abiding citizens, of free people everywhere. You know, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jefferson, and I know everyone says, well, you can quote Thomas Jefferson on any subject, but, but Thomas Jefferson really had an underlying principle, a driving 
concern of freedom and liberty, and that's what drives me. I believe in being close to hearth and home. I believe in being close to the earth, and I think that that doing things for yourself and being self-sufficient makes you a more full person. I, I read Henry David Thoreau, and I enjoy things like that. And when I start to see liberty being infringed, when I see government trying to take away the rights of people who have done nothing wrong, who would do nothing wrong, but simply want to defend themselves and others, like the, the gentleman in our first story, the good, and we see people like that and people like the, the good men and women in Georgia Carey who need to be free to do what's right and to have their liberties infringed, to be looked on as second-class citizens, to be ostracized, it makes my blood boil. Well, see, my, my point with the whole good, bad, and ugly here is they're, they grab for the guns of the law-abiding citizens, but the law-abiding citizens are the ones that end up saving the day rather than causing the chaos. Exactly. Now, here, folks, we're coming up on the end of our show, and I think that we've had a pretty good show for our first show with no guests. And, you know, it's we've had guests on every week. Some weeks we will, some weeks we won't. And, of course, this week being spring break, it's not that a whole bunch of guests just gave us the finger when we were trying to get them lined up for spring break week, but rather that we just had such important topics to talk about. Can that. you imagine that they would rather come here and talk to us than be on some beach somewhere? <laughs> some beach somewhere yeah so, yeah you need to keep your day job by the way oh i i'm trying i really am i was gonna sing an amendment to be from the simpsons but we're just out of time i'm just a bill yeah i'm an amendment I'm only a bill i'm an amendment to be just an amendment to be and i'm hoping that they'll ratify me anyway folks if you are listening to us on georgiacarry.org's website or through a podcast or streaming live get us on a local station call your local am or fm stations that have similar content tell them that you want georgiacarry.org radio on their show you can contact us at radio at georgiacarry.org or they can and we will tell them how to get syndicated and get us on the air so you can listen to us every single week without missing a beat and folks this has been a great opportunity we really appreciate you listening in call your local stations let georgiacarry.org know how we're doing and we appreciate all of the interest in the radio show that we get in feedback uh, next week we're going to have another really important show we hope that you tune in then at the same time and the same station this is is georgiacarry.org radio, the voice of Georgia Carry. This has been georgiacarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. georgiacarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. georgiacarry.org radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town. 